You are listening to Abstract Thought, a podcast hosted by Nick Smith, formerly known as Nick Abstract. Um, Today, I'm just going to be chatting with you guys about how to stay creative, how to stay engaged, and um, where you can find inspiration, a bunch of, you know, strange things that I've been inspired by over the years. I'm also going to touch on, you know, how to respond to naysayers, how to not waste your time, how to market yourself as a creative, and a whole lot more. So yeah, let's jump in. First off, I want to I want to say to the people who've listened to the first two podcasts, I super appreciate all the comments and and questions people had. It's been great to hear you know, things that people want me to talk about in the next podcast as well as some responses to some of the things I've already discussed. So, yeah, let's keep that conversation going. If you hear anything in this podcast or any of the the previous ones that you want to chat about, you know, definitely let me know. I'd love to engage in further conversation with you. Um, off the jump, I'll just say, uh, you know, strange times. We're starting to dip into winter a little bit. Um, COVID's kind of expected to kind of rise, potentially put some more people out of work. So yeah, we're, we're, we're bearing down for a weird time as a, as a creative, uh, as, as a creative community goes. Um, I think the creative community, in addition to all kinds of different jobs and professions are definitely, um, we're, we're kind of buckling down a bit, you know, finances are getting scarce, budgets are getting a little bit shorter. So everybody's being very careful, which, you know, as you would expect with a pandemic, not everybody's is, is ready to freely spend a whole lot of money for artwork and whatnot. So yeah, crazy times, but you know, it's all good. We'll get through it little by little day by day. And, um, yeah, it, it's all good. I try to keep a positive outlook as much as I can. I know uh, things can can be pretty dim and grim fr- from from day to day, depending on you know different things in the news or different things people are saying. I try to try to distance myself a little bit and try to address people where they're at, and uh, you know that's that's kind of why I'm doing this podcast too, is just engage in in positive conversation and and, and bring about some of the good stories of life and some of the uh, some of the good aspects of being a creative too. Um, let's see. I got a list of questions and also different topics that I'm interested in chatting with y'all about today. Um, first off, how can I get inspired? So this question comes to me from, from a young artist from Indianapolis who seems to be struggling a little bit with, with how to stay creative and how to stay inspired. And my best suggestion on staying inspired is Try to pay attention to, and I said some of this stuff kind of in in podcast number two, but just pay close attention to the things that you like and the things you enjoy. A lot of the things that you already enjoy and consume, you do so for a reason that kind of makes you happy. I mean, if those are are good things, I I hope, you, you consume them and they make you happy and they're not destructive. So if you have things you're interested in that, you know, whether it be a TV show, whether it be a genre of music or, I mean, even a food. I mean, I, I don't know. If, if there's something you super enjoy, I think a lot of times myself and all kinds of different people, you you tend to just consume stuff and not really think about the fact of like why you're consuming it. You're just like, oh, I like this thing, so my body's just telling me to consume it, you know? But if you can step back a little bit within yourself and say, why do I enjoy this movie? Is it you know, the cast of characters? Is it, 
you know, the art direction of the movie? Is it certain scenes I really like, whether it be action scenes or whether it be really emotional scenes? Like, what what stuff are you drawn to? And also, if you can, if you can not only just pay attention to the things you like and and why you like them, but also ask yourself more detailed questions about that, where it's like, okay if I do like this movie and I do like the art direction, then ask the question of like, what part of the art direction or the style of this movie am I really drawn to? And the best example of this for myself is when I was in, I would say like eighth grade to freshman year of of high school, I was super duper duper into playing like Halo 3, Call of Duty, and like all these different games. I played a little bit of Madden 2 and some other games like that. And um, yeah, I was more of a gamer back then. I don't really play video games as much now, but, you know, I dabbled. I played quite a bit of Halo 3. I remember Halo 3 was introduced to me by, by my older brother. And um, yeah, I played a ton of that game. But I think at the time, I hadn't even quite realized why I liked that game. You know, I was in that standpoint of just, okay, well, playing this game, I'm enjoying it. Who cares? But now that I've had time to ponder on it, um, I think Halo 3 actually connected with me, being that it's it's a game, and if you've never played it, I'll just give you a little bit of a backstory, but the game is set in like kind of the future, maybe hundreds and hundreds of years in the future, where um, there's different soldiers, and these soldiers are basically fighting the bad guys and and the bad guys are like this alien race that is like highly advanced and has these crazy spaceships and stuff and um the the humans have these cool like exoskeleton like armor suits that they they basically wear and the humans have all these like you know they can lift stuff that's super heavy they have like a force field to protect them from you know bullets or whatever stuff people are shooting at them and and Long story short, the, the, the art direction of the game was super cool, and I really enjoyed this, like, you know, as an 8th grader, this crazy approach into, like, what the future could be like, and all the different things that are in the future, whether it be technological advancements or even architectural advancements, you know, um, and so when you would play this game, there were different levels in the game that, um, you know, you could play online with people from wherever, and you're playing on a level that the the game designers actually were inspired by a lot of, like, aboriginal artwork. Um, they were inspired by a lot of brutalist architecture and a whole wide range of different uh, architectural movements. And they would craft these levels. I mean, imagine if, if you had to sit down, and you're a part of a creative studio, and your your job is to come up with a bunch of of levels for people to play in this game but you want the levels to look like an alien race built the architecture of which you're going to be playing on which is a pretty crazy pretty crazy question sorry i couldn't get that word out that's it's a wild thing to sit down and ponder so you know i think the the game designers and from further research into the subject i've actually you know bought a couple books from the people who made the game and just tried to understand better but they they studied a lot of natural things, um, a, a bunch of organic stuff, and tried to find a way to, you know, they're thinking this alien race comes from a different set of biology or, or a different type of, you know, chemical compound. And, you know, their architecture most likely won't look like architecture from, you know, what we do here on planet Earth. 
So they're from a different planet. What would their buildings look like? What would their dwellings look like? What would their weapons or their vehicles or, you know, what would all that stuff look like? So, you know, they, they drew inspiration from nature, of course, here on Earth. But, um, you know, they're also thinking in, in the very abstract of like, you know, this alien race may have these crazy, huge, you know, skyscraper-like buildings that are obelisks and they're just huge and they kind of look like they defy gravity. And and so when you're in eighth grade or you're a freshman, you're in high school and you're seeing these crazy worlds that like these game designers have spent, you know, years crafting these, these buildings and these levels and, and the art direction for this game. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't play video games too much anymore, but I definitely appreciate those times when I was playing those games and, and just experiencing kind of a different world than what I was used to. Um, and I, I feel like my artwork these days with the geometric abstract lines and stuff, they, they kind of live within a similar world to a, a similar world to what the halo levels are kind of at. They're set kind of in the distant future. Um, some of my abstract compositions and stuff are, are really inspired by the, the angles of some of these levels and the angles of the architecture of that game. And um, so, yeah, that's just a little bit of backstory in, into kind of where my artwork comes from and some of the stuff that inspired me. Um, but yeah, if you can, if you can think of some stupid game that you played a bunch of back then, or a, you know, a band you listened to that maybe you don't listen to anymore, you can still pull inspiration from stuff from your past. You can pull inspiration from things you enjoyed and, and further think of stuff you used to like and, and ask yourself, why did I like that? Why did I play that game so much? Why does that game still resonate with me? Um, all those things can you know, in whatever creative practice you're doing, whether you're a writer, whether you're an artist, a painter, a sculptor, a printmaker, a musician, you know, whatever, pull from visual, audio, and, and whatever kind of stuff from your past and, and see if you can use that stuff to, to further inspire you. Another thing that I, that I tend to do is just kind of walk around. Um, that's kind of been a, a thing that some artists do to get inspired all throughout history. I mean, You've got, who is it? I think Monet. He would just kind of walk through these like lily pad things that are, you know, there's like a small bridge that he would walk like every day with the lily pads in the river and stuff or in the creek. And, you know, he would just paint stuff like that. So if you can, if you can walk around and take in the city from, or whatever town, city, country, wherever you live, if you can take it in from, just a very pure observational standpoint, you know, basically act like you're a fly in the wall in this city and pay attention to what other people are doing in the city. You know, if they're all funneling into a certain building to go to work or something, what does that building look like? Why does it look like that? Um, so yeah, I was pondering a lot of different stuff like this and that's where I found deep fascination with architecture. Um, you know, if, if, I'm from out in the country somewhat. I'm about a half hour outside of Indianapolis and I didn't really see a lot of architecture growing up. You know, I, it's, it's mainly, um, cornfields, our high school, <laughs> our downtown restaurants. Um, there was like an ice cream place called Frosty Boy. Shout out Frosty Boy. Oh, any of those from my hometown who know Frosty Boy is the bomb. Um, yeah, there just wasn't a lot of crazy architecture or wild buildings like that. And everything, 
you know, if you've been through Indiana before, it's extremely flat. There's cornfields everywhere and not a lot of hills, no mountains. Um, yeah, just long, expansive landscapes pretty much. And so when I started going to school in the city and seeing these, you know, wildly huge architectural structures and, and thinking like, wow, that's crazy. And then you go to school in some of these buildings. And like, I mean, I remember that the Heron School of Art and Design where I went to, architecturally, it's a pretty cool building. I mean, there's these wild triangular prism looking shapes that are, they're, um, they're actually utilized to have light enter them. And then that light is reflected down into the building, into like the first floor art studios and drawing studios and stuff. Or maybe it was the second floor. But they built the architecture so that light can actually enter the building and light the subjects that the drawing and, and painting students will, will use as a reference. So I don't know. Finding stuff like that is super interesting to me. And um, I started sketching in addition to sketching like graffiti letters and graffiti concepts and, and whatever style writing stuff I was doing at the time, I found that architecturally I would sketch stuff like that. Like I would, you know, if a building caught my eye, I'd be like, dang, that building looks crazy. Let me draw that real quick. So I ended up drawing not so much figurative based paintings and drawings from, from art school, which a lot of my classmates and stuff were doing. But I mean, I was just sketching buildings, bridges, you know, street corner signs, you know, like, it, it, you know, if you're at a street corner and you're standing there and there's a huge electrical pole and that electrical pole is, is carrying electric current to all these different downtown buildings and whatnot. But if you just look at the electric wire and how long these wires go, I mean, they just continue off indefinitely. And regardless of where you're standing in the city, there's just crazy infrastructure constantly around that, like, I mean, typically people just go through their day to day, don't really ever notice any stuff like that. But as an artist myself, if I can visually step back and be like, dang, that wire is so long and goes way up to the top of that building. Like, that's kind of ridiculous that someone somewhere at some time, I mean, they were obviously getting paid to do it, I'm sure. But, you know, they had to figure out how to hook power up into this building and they created... I mean, I don't know anything about electrical engineering. My older brother's an electrical engineer, and this is this is his wheelhouse, so I'm not speaking to it in a way that probably even is accurate or makes sense. But, you know, all of this is just to say that, you know, infrastructure is made, and there's a lot of things out there in the world that if you just kind of look at it from a different standpoint and observe it for what it is... Um, you know, all of a sudden I started seeing all the lines and stuff. And so I incorporated these lines and some of these visual structures into my artwork after, you know, a couple of years of sketching them out and conceptualizing ways that I can bring some of this city architectural vibe into, let's say, a painting or a composition or, or things of that nature. So, yeah, to stay inspired, pay attention, you know, look around, ask about things you like and ask why you like them. Um, another example of this would be um, ambient music. I listen to a lot of like, I don't know, like when people ask me, hey man, like what do you listen to? What kind of music do you like? My answer is basically like, I listen to a lot of weird stuff, dude. <laughs> like uh, just a lot of, I don't know, I get into very strange um, I mean, like I said in the previous podcast, I listen to a lot of metal music, 
um, always been a little bit of a metalhead. I've enjoyed the instrumentation and, and some of the intensity that the the instruments can do. Um, like there's 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 a wide range of different bands. Um, some bands instead of using six strings, they use eight strings, and, and they tune the guitars down into this frequency that's like, I mean, you're basically turning the, the regular guitars into bass guitars, and, and the tonal qualities that some of these guitars can achieve, I mean, they sound like they're from, it's like if you can make a, a guitar speak an alien language, <laughs> is kind of how it sounds, like it's just, some of the guitar stuff sounds just so weird, and, and kind of trippy, and super intense and so I found my way I think towards the end of graphic design school I started getting into very ambient um, I guess you could say drone type music is I think what the you know the pseudo genre I suppose is for this but um, I found this composer from from Canada named Tim Hecker and Tim Hecker produces like all these weird trippy ambient pieces that um you know, if, if you're just working a job or you're, you're trying to stay focused, it's very good music to like be, it's very contemplative. You can stay very focused while you're listening to it and it's not going to distract you from what you're doing. You know, a lot of times, and I'm sure many of you who listen have this happen where, you know, you can listen to something for, uh, uh, trying to think. You, you can listen to a song while you're in the middle of doing a task and, that song pulls you from the task. It starts to, you know, it's it's like how some people say, I can listen to music while I study, but I can't listen to music that has a bunch of words. So they'll listen to stuff that's like purely instrumental. And I kind of found this too. Once I started doing, or listening to this type of music, th this type of ambient stuff doesn't really have words behind it per se. Um, if there's a small sample from an audio um you know, if there's an audio sample of someone singing, typically it's distorted in a way to where, you know, you can't recognize the words from it, or it's used as kind of a, um, you know, another instrument, if you will. And so Tim Hecker's music was super, um, super pivotal for me because all of a sudden I had music that I could paint to, and that kind of spoke a similar, uh, a similar language to some of the, the pieces I was doing and, and sort of the place I was at in my life too. Um, you know, when you're painting, especially alone, it just, it's a very, I guess, contemplative, I think is the word, but you're just sitting there kind of reflecting on what you're doing, reflecting on things from the past, thinking of things in the future. And it's just a very intense experience just being by yourself. And for me personally, I don't have an art studio, you know, I don't have a place I go to. So Sometimes, like I said, those best ideas arrive at kind of weird times. So, I mean, there have been times where it's like 1 a.m. and I'm up painting. I've been painting for a couple hours and I just have music in my headphones. And I'm just like, you know, you're in this what I call kind of a flow state where um, I've chatted before. My, my friend Steven and I have kind of delved into this topic before. But in a way, your ideas and your thought process and everything, you enter into this weird this weird place where you're just kind of creating and your brain is making all of these creative decisions and you just, you're not really at the wheel is kind of what it, that's the best way I can explain it. You're, you're so zoned in, you're so focused and you know, whatever music I'm listening to at the time has me dialed in even more. And you know, your, your stuff is just kind of flowing out of you. You're not overthinking it and 
You know, in the same way in previous podcasts I mentioned when you have those those sparks of ideas when you're at a stoplight or something and you capture those ideas and, and those ideas arose through not a bunch of BS or, you know, considering a bunch of things and talking yourself out of ideas. Like those ideas when they arrive quickly are really pure. Those ideas are pure in the same sense that when you're painting and you're you're deep in focus and you're deep in thought you're in that same flow state where there's nothing else you're really thinking about. You're not, you're just kind of zonked out in a way. I mean, it, it sort of feels like you're, um, and I'm, I'm sure people who work regular jobs also have that same moment. I know when I was working at my graphic design job, you know, occasionally I'll have Tim Hecker or whatever different types of music on, and you're just so focused on the task and completing the task, and you, especially tasks that are very muscle memory based. To where you don't really have to think a whole lot. Your body's just like going. And it's like you're under a spell or something. It's kind of a weird analogy to, to put it towards. But I, I found that's kind of what it feels like. And um, there's this other guy too. William Bazinski is his name. And he is a musical composer too. And uh, he he's produced a lot of pretty crazy, I guess you could say, albums and, and songs and whatnot. And... Uh, you know, through his creative process, he kind of found, and I don't know his whole story. I'm just speaking secondhand based on kind of research that I've determined from, you know, just reading about him online and stuff. But uh, he he was recording different samples and different uh, song loops that he would then create these into, like, like he would take a wider range of classical music, um, some Muzak, which is like different types of I don't even know the, the, the true definition of Muzak, but something on there. Um, he would take these these songs and he would kind of slow them down. And these songs were also on like tape samples. And so he would take these tapes and through the process of recording them so he could build them into music later, the act of actually recording these tapes would disintegrate them. And so these tapes that had the, the you know, kind of translucent black film on them, as he's recording them, and I think he found this out by accident, I, I could be wrong, but as he's recording them, the tapes actually start to fall apart, and the tape ends up, instead of being black, it ends up looking like clear uh, scotch tape towards the end, and there's like a pile of dust on the floor um, from what the actual tape was, and so at that point, the, the tapes, as they're being recorded for so long, there's such little music actually on the tape anymore to where the tape is picking up small pieces of just like dust um, as, as the tape is, is cycling through. I mean, there's, there's brief moments in the tape where it does pick up a part of the song. And so William was super inspired by this and thought, you know, essentially he's creating a piece musically that is about the death of a song, <laughs> which is, I mean, that's pretty deep, but it's also pretty, pretty cool that he noticed that and he noticed that, whoa, this is kind of an interesting moment to try to capture. And it's an interesting thing to kind of contemplate. So a lot of his songs are, they are very kind of moody and, and deep and dark and, and honestly kind of scary sometimes. Like some of the tracks are they're hauntingly beautiful the way these these classic songs kind of break down and, and as you listen to each track you can kind of hear the sample itself kind of falling apart and so many of his songs 
are about kind of the track will start out and it's like the actual audio sample and it'll loop little by little and then by the end of the song there's like nothing left on that tape and the song is kind of just like it kind of just fades out on its own automatically and um i think tim hecker as well uses maybe not tape recording but i think he he does all different types of audio sampling too and he crafts these these songs and these albums out of stuff like that so as an artist, I hear things like that, and I'm like, whoa, that's that's a wild process that I would have never even considered. You know, typically you think, oh, music is just a guitar, it's drums, and then someone sings or something, but like, I like that there's people who are essentially painting with music, and they're composing these very, very dense, very deep musical states through kind of, you know, unforeseen ways. Um, that, that stuff's very inspiring to me. So in a way, when I put things like that on, I then become an artist in that same sort of mindset. And it kind of gets you into this like hypnotic loop of how you're creating work. And, uh, you, like I said before, you enter that flow state where it's all just, it's all just flowing through you. You're not thinking about it. And, and, you know, you fast forward two and a half hours, you have, you know, three paintings half done two of them fully completed and you're like what where did this come from how did this happen how you know how did these pieces just kind of finish themselves and it's kind of a trippy feeling you know when you step back from a painting you did and you didn't really even think too much while you were doing it and then you know you look at the piece afterwards and you get up close to it and you're like, well, actually I did have a lot of thoughts while I was doing this. And there's a lot of things I was contemplating and there's a lot that there's a lot that's in this piece that explains where I was thinking and where I was at, at that moment. But while you're creating it, you're not even really considering all that stuff. So it's like a painting as well as a, as a song by Tim Hecker or William Basinski. It's a brief moment in time that you can um, you can understand the artist a little bit better as they created it. And, you know, these are all things I think social media and Instagram and stuff, all that stuff kind of lacks that because how are you going to get two inches from a painting and, and really feel the experience of it? And, you know, I think this is partially why paintings by Mark Rothko are like extremely, extremely like moving for people. I mean, they're paintings that are just, you know, a basic color or two, and he just painstakingly painted, you know, every inch of it. And I mean, I don't know all too much about Mark Rothko. I definitely need to do more research. But, you know, it's one of those those artists that some people will see some of his work and be like, ugh, it's just a, you know, a big orange rectangle or it's just a big black blob. And, you know, in some regards it is. But um, in other regards, he's he spent hours and hours and hours painting those and and the process of the painting tells you a lot more than just the painting itself and you know for a long time and I still partially am very against this like I don't know I call it hashtag art where it's like people and there was a lot of this stuff at art school too but there was like there were people who I just felt like were just being contrarians and like they would just do outrageous stuff just to be outrageous. And then they would like, they would write just some, like some crazy artist statement about like, uh, like for instance, um, my girlfriend had a photography professor 
her, I think, junior or senior year. And um, the guy was a great photographer. Like, I've seen photos that he's taken prior, and, like, they're all super-duper great, and they're very professional. But um, some photographers and artists, too, take things to such a conceptual level that, like, I think art in general kind of for a while has struggled with this where art just becomes inaccessible and it becomes like this weird thing that like you have to be of a certain like socioeconomic status or you have to be like you know like I've gone to gallery settings um I had a buddy Andreas who was a I think he was getting his master's at at Heron I went to a couple of his um his studio critiques were him and some of his other studio mates were going to have like a group critique type of deal. And, um, man, it, it honestly felt like, it felt like just, and I don't want to dog on art too much, but it seemed as though everyone was kind of engaged in this, like who can professionally out BS each other game (laughs) where, um, you know, some of the people were asking questions that were just like, like, I remember one dude in his class literally just, like, made memes. And, like, in his meme, like, slideshow, essentially, he was like, yeah, so, like, this meme really just plays, like, social commentary on current um, socio-political engagements and how society has recircumvented their um, their nebulated oneness through inner consciousness. Like, it was just a whole word vomit of, like, nothing. And, like, dude everybody in the room just straight up like ate it up they were like oh it is i just i love this piece and it it really just does a lot for me and like literally the dude just had like a video of him like dancing in front of memes and like you could tell this dude was just getting off on the fact that he basically worked for no time at all and made this little video that i can like i can tell you as being a production designer it probably took him a half hour to actually make that And I mean, they talked about it for like an hour. I mean, and I'm just sitting there thinking like, is anyone else seeing this? How like absurd this is? And I don't want to be an art critic necessarily. Like, you know, if he wants to make memes and he wants to get famous making memes and if it does do all this social commentary and stuff, I mean, dude, more power to him. But I honestly felt like I was the only person in the room like, bro, what is going on in here? Like, this is a weird, this is kind of a weird thing here. And, um, my, my friend Andreas, like his paintings, his paintings are pretty much like, and I give Andreas a lot of credit as well. He, dude, he is into weird music and he was one of the only people who put me on to like, yeah, while you paint, you should like force yourself to listen to like kind of weird things that are out of the ordinary because they'll put your brain in like a different mindset so that as you're painting and as you're creating, you're just like, you're kind of flowing with that music and that music can get things out of you that otherwise you kind of wouldn't. Um, cause it can, it can like kind of walk your brain down, down a pathway of thinking a certain way. Um, and so Andreas's paintings are like, they are crazy. Um, I'm trying to remember, let me look it up. Andreas, Andreas, which is A N D R E A S. Marcial, M-A-R-C-I-L, wait, wait, M-A-R-C-I-A-L, Coba, C-O-B-E, C-O-B-A, um, Andreas Marcial Coba, I don't know if that's even how to pronounce it, I have no idea, but if you go on there to, shoot, maybe it took, 
Okay, so if you go to marcialcoba.carbonmade.com, I think that is his website. And like, dude, Andreas has painted some crazy stuff. And if you hear me clicking around, I'm just looking at his website too. But um, yeah, marcialcoba.carbonmade.com. Um, so if you go to A was her name, which is the third item down, dated 2014. Like when I met Andreas, he was the first person I ever met who had an art studio and they were getting their master's degree in art. And like, you know, he was like, Hey man, would you ever want to come to my studio sometime and see some of the stuff I do? And I met him through this encaustic painting class, which it was a dope class. Um, they were teaching us how to paint using beeswax, like d color dyed beeswax. It was, it was a wild class. Um, and so I met Andreas in there and he took me to his studio and, um, yeah, so if you're on his site, it is the the third one down. That's the type of stuff that was hanging on his wall in his studio. <laughs> and, like, I come from, like, living in the cornfields and being like, yeah, man, I love the Colts and, like, I love football and stuff. And, um, I mean, I was super new to the art world and stuff in general, so I meet this dude and he's painting, like, just the weirdest, most abstract, just, like, I don't even have words to describe what this stuff even looks like. Like you really just got to go online and look at it yourself. Um, I mean, it, it essentially looks like, I mean, his paintings look like if you took an alien and like shot it with a shotgun and then like threw it against a wall and like, I don't even know. It just looks so abstract and so visceral and so dark. And I'd never seen anything like that. And when he was presenting this stuff to this, this panel that is in love with meme art, they just, like, they were struggling, I think, a little bit. And I think Andreas still did a pretty good job explaining, you know, where his inspiration comes from and what he's trying to get across. Um, but I kind of felt like there needs to be more people like Andreas that um, they're not just kind of cashing into the art world and knowing that it's kind of satirical and they can they can kind of BS their way to the top and make as little work as possible and write a whole lot about said work. You know, I feel like some paintings and some artists these days, like, um, and this kind of goes back to that photographer. I was, I was, I started down that story and ended up expanding past it. But the photographer that my girlfriend had, um, they had a, a year in show where they had all the different photographers in the class post up their paint, their, um, their, their photographs on the wall. And, um, it was just kind of like a gallery setting and her professor also put a couple pieces in the exhibition and one of them was a picture of himself naked with a gallon of gasoline behind him and he's bent over a chair pouring gasoline in his own butt and dude next to that photograph was a like Dude, it was such a long artist statement about, oh, this piece addresses the socioeconomic, you know, biodiversity. I mean, they just like, blah, 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 blah. And like, dude, so many people were just like, wow. Like, I just, oh, I love this piece. It's just, and dude, he should be able to do that. I mean, if he wants to, if he wants to photograph himself doing that, I, I'm not going to stop him. But it was just such a strange thing to observe. And I mean, I don't know if the world is just in this kind of, um, and I, I'm sure the, the world is kind of moving towards this where things are so wild and kind of crazy that I think art that is kind of Dadaist, um, which if you don't know what Dadaism is, just type in D-A-D-A -D -A into Google. 
Um, and yeah, read about that art movement. It's pretty crazy. During uh, kind of during the First World War, um, it was kind of a reaction to how terrible the war was. Art became just like extremely absurd. Um, there's the uh, Marcel Duchamp piece that is like he basically wrote his name on a urinal and like put it in an art gallery and just said like the fact that he wrote his name on it justifies the urinal as like an art piece like (laughs) there's a wide range of stuff like that that we studied in in art school and at the time I was like that's stupid like that's not a piece of art it's just a urinal but I don't know what I'm trying to say is it's it's okay if this guy wants to pour gasoline in his butt and take a picture of himself and write about how it changes the world but I I knew very quickly I was like I do not want my art to be like that (laughs) I don't want I don't want you to have to read paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs to just like try to understand what I'm doing. You know, if if you're a five-year-old, I want you to walk past a mural I've painted and be like, oh, that's blue, or I like the triangle, or just like, you know, I want it to be engageable by anybody and from any, any background, any language, any, any, any point in the world. I, I hope that my art can seem, um, visually appealing to those people. Um, because I feel like if you do pour gasoline in your butthole, there's only a small subset of people who like being in the club of liking art like that and buying art like that. And that's who those pieces engage with. (laughs) And, um, you know, being an artist and in the past being a designer and trying to work with clients and make things for people that, um, you know, can reach a wide audience of people. I think that's super important. So, sorry for that tangent. I know that's a kind of a weird story, but um, yeah, I met the dude Andreas. He was painting some crazy stuff, listening to some weird freaking music. So, um, yeah, props to you, Andreas, for for staying true, doing whatever you do, and uh, painting stuff that is bizarre, but also not gonna like force people down a you know a crazy tangent of a nine-page artist dossier. I mean, Andreas's paintings are wild, but he would essentially just like instead of telling people what the paintings and stuff are about, he would just be like, what do you think the painting's about? You know, I didn't paint this painting to tell you a bunch of things. I painted this painting for you to tell me a bunch of things. Um, you know, what do you see? What do you feel? What, what kind of emotions do you have? What is this, what does this pull out of you kind of a thing? And, um, that, that's the type of art that I definitely enjoy things that, um, they, they tell you less and, and show you yourself more. Um, so yeah, I also, I could be wrong. I don't know. That's just my opinion. And, and people have their opinions and their standards. You know, if you like highly provocative art that, you know, oh, the piece of him pouring it in his butthole is just so glorious and really a, a testament to the times of, of modern society. I mean, dude, if you want to do that, by all means, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. But I'm just going to be over here doing my thing, <laughs> painting triangles and try not to tick people off and I mean, when, when Courtney's parents and my parents went downstairs t- to see Courtney's photographs for for her show and her professors, like, shaking hands with everybody, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, Courtney did a great job, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then, like, <laughs> this paint, this picture of him pouring gas in his buttholes right next to right next to her parents and my parents it was just, I don't know. I, I, can, I admire the guy for, for pushing the envelope, I suppose, but definitely a little bit bizarre. Um. So yeah, I talked about ambient music, looking around the city for inspiration, um, talked a little bit about Halo 3, 
Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. What are some time wasters was another question that I got. Um, Instagram, definitely a time waster if not utilized properly. Um, you know, I, I sometimes get caught up in the rat race like everybody else of like, oh, you know, I got to check Instagram and make sure that people are engaging with the work and then I need to respond back to them if they have questions and, uh, oh, I need to make sure I do this post at a certain time so that it reaches the right amount of yada, yada, yada. You know, you can just get stuck in social media and Instagram and um, I don't know. I think there's lots of ways anymore that you can also market yourself outside of Instagram. I think social media can pinpoint you in a way that you feel like, shoot, dude, if I'm not posting my artwork on Instagram, I mean, no one's ever going to see it. It's kind of like, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does a tree even fall or, you know, does it make a sound? (laughs) Instagram kind of feels like that too. But anymore, I'm trying to shift my focus towards engaging with real people and, uh, sending emails to real people who live in my state and in my, my city and um, trying to connect with people locally and say like, Hey, you know, you want to go grab coffee sometime? I mean, COVID's made this a little bit more difficult, but yeah, trying to meet people for real definitely goes a long way because those real relationships and, and real people you talk to and you, you make friends with, those are the people that can help um, advocate for you. And, you know, if, if they know someone in their circle that's like, hey, you know, I own a new business and need a mural, that person that you had that coffee with or that person that you know is going to send you that information and be like, hey, you should hit these people up. And that, I think, has a better return than just posting stuff into the ether of Instagram, having Instagram's algorithms bury that upon post and... uh yeah, I mean, people always say, oh, the wonderful thing about Instagram and social media is like, you know, anybody, anyone can just get their work out there in the world. And, you know, it's just so beautiful. And in a way, that's kind of true, partly, but any more with algorithms and the way social media works and how loud social media is. I mean, pff, dude, I feel like social media is just like white noise. It's just constant, like, pff, it's just crazy, dude the rate at which stuff is getting posted is so wild and anymore it just feels like you're putting your head in the corner of a room and just like screaming to yourself <laughs> like it definitely feels like that i mean and i've been super lucky i've i've connected with a lot of people through instagram and i do think it's an essential tool um but dude it can definitely waste your time if if you're too involved in it um so yeah i i try to adhere to like kind of a post and leave approach you know, just, I even set timers on my phone of like how long I'm supposed to be on Instagram and maybe look into that. You know, if you're someone who's like, dang, dude, my screen time on Instagram is like three hours or two hours a day. And that's, you know, that's three or two hours. You know, you could have done a painting, you could have done all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's not that you need to maximize every second of your day to be productive, but if you're spending three hours a day on Instagram, that's a problem. (laughs) And I've had that problem before. So if you can look into technologies, you can look into things to maybe minimize your your screen time. Uh, That stuff definitely helps. Um, But on the positive note, Instagram can be extremely inspiring. You know, you can see all kinds of cool stuff. And especially during COVID, if you can't really go around, you can't really engage and, like I said, have coffee with a bunch of people... Instagram can be 
um, it can be a place where you can find cool cool anecdotes and cool stories and see neat things and and find new music and stuff you know it but in order to do that you have to basically trick your algorithm into keeping you inspired so um, social media and Facebook and, and Pinterest Pinterest algorithms pretty solid actually and um, I think Instagram does a good job at it but Pinterest has it pretty down to where if you're looking for a specific thing um, in a specific kind of visual style Pinterest can really really pull that up um, but what I was trying to say was that all comes down to the algorithm and the algorithm for social media companies the goal of it is how can we keep our users engaged with our application because the more users are engaged in our application the more ads we can send them and the more ads that they see those companies can pay us more money and they can make more money to participate in this and so it's just a it's a big kind of money thing where money's getting shuffled around and, and the goal is to keep you on social media as much and as long as possible thus to create the most revenue um and that's kind of a dark maybe nihilistic approach to, to social media but if you know that's the game and you know that's the racket you can kind of hack the system and create your own algorithm structures to where Instagram's not feeding you chaos, it's not feeding you political nonsense, it's not leading you into conspiracy theories. Like you can trick your algorithm to where you have it provide you with things that inspire you. You know, if you if you let's say unfollow all of the people you follow and then only follow architecture Instagram accounts or you only follow you know, abstract music accounts or something. I mean, I don't even know if that's an account, but like what, what I'm trying to say is if you can pinpoint it with the stuff that if you've narrowed down on what inspires you and, and things you like to look at to get your mind going on, on being creative and being inspired, make your algorithm only consist of those things. So I know, for instance, I'm extremely into, like I said earlier, like the, the Halo games, the, the visual art direction. And I found that the game itself I did enjoy, but really I enjoyed the art direction and, and the concepts and the maps and the levels. So I found a community where there's a bunch of concept artists who have worked on the Halo video games. They, I, I've even talked with some of the people who have worked with the creative studios that make those games. And um, they've talked about, they, they talk on their Instagram page and, and they share examples and images of levels that they're working on in in. I found that there's a huge community of people who are concept artists just posting their ideas and their concepts out there. So when I log into Instagram, it's not even it's not even art that I'm looking at all the time. It's literally like I've got concept art from like future video games that haven't even come out yet and people making a bunch of ideas like that. I've got I mean I'm really into cinematography and videography too, so I've got like wild um, like drone recorded videos and like these crazy one shot video, like music video type of things. And, you know, you can make your algorithm, you know, sum you up with things that are going to keep you inspired and, and you can use those things for your benefit. You know, so much I, I, and even I get into this too, where I just end up complaining about Instagram and, oh, so it's so terrible that there's echo chambers on Instagram and, you know, it's real. A lot of people get lost to echo chambers and if they start reading something that's doom and gloom and terrible and they stare at it for a long time instagram's gonna see oh they engaged with this doom and gloom thing for a long time 
you know, let's post something that's by that same user and see if they engage with that too. So then if you look at that post for even longer and you even leave a comment, oh, they left a comment? Oh, send them more. And so very quickly, social media can just snowball and, and the algorithm will just feed you with like stuff that you engage with. So you got to be very careful what you like, what you engage with, because Instagram's watching all that stuff and, and it's creating a, a, a persona for you that it thinks that it thinks you want to see. So you got to outsmart the algorithm. You have to know what you want to see. You have to know what you want to engage with. And you need to tell Instagram through following certain accounts or by only engaging with certain things that that's what you want Instagram to do for you. You want it to provide you with architectural photographs. You want it to provide you with concept art. You know, that's just my example for it, but I've definitely seen benefits in, uh, in treating Instagram as kind of a curatorial um, landscape, if you will. So uh, let's see. Oh, speaking along those same lines, um, you end up finding a whole lot of cool stuff that you never knew that you would enjoy. Um, In following a lot of these architecture blogs and architecture Instagram pages, I found that there's a whole lot of wild Soviet and socialist architecture that is just like crazy looking. These huge apartment complexes that are just like unfathomably huge. Um, and on the side of a whole lot of those, I started to see on these Instagram pages a lot of like Russian mosaics. Huge, huge, huge mosaics that are like millions and millions of individual tiles um, that the that these paintings or these mosaics are made out of. And like, dude... That stuff is just mind-blowing, and and some of them have kind of started rotting away, or they're from like the 40s or the 50s or, you know, however however early they were made there, and um, yeah, it's just crazy to see these cool mosaics that are still hanging on, and uh, yeah, mosaics, pretty dope. If you ever maybe, I don't know if you can Google Russian mosaics, but I'm sure you can probably find uh, quite a few cool ones out there. Um, Yeah, so... Just maybe keep track on a notepad or something of if you do come across things that you engage with and you enjoy, you're like, dang, I never thought Russian mosaic paintings I would ever even know, first of all, or think were cool, second of all. And like, just keep a little note or keep a tally list of things that you engage with and things that you inspired or that you, you know, can get inspired by. Um, Let's see, do, 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 kind of rounding it out here. Um... I guess the biggest lesson of all, whether it's Instagram or or meeting people in person and reaching out to people is try, if possible, to talk to strangers and and put yourself out there about your artwork. Um, You know, talking to somebody new can feel, it can feel kind of intimidating. You know, you go to a client meeting for the first time or you respond to someone on Instagram who is interested in your artwork and you meet up with them for the first time and it's like, you know, I don't know this person. They don't know me. They've seen my artwork before. I don't really know anything about them. You know, it's kind of a scary thing meeting new people. And when you put yourself out there, you don't really know who you can trust. You don't know who's going to kind of vouch for you. And, uh, yeah, it can be kind of freaky. Um, but I mean, definitely with a calculated risk, meet up with people. If it seems sketchy, if it seems shady, if it seems kind of baity and they're kind of prepping you to screw you over or something, definitely listen to your inner voice. And if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. But um, yeah, I mean, when I grew up, my my dad 
definitely wasn't afraid of anybody. Um, my grandpa on my dad's side was not afraid to talk to people either. Um, and so I would see my dad, my dad would just walk up to like homeless people and talk to them and chat up with them. And like, he just, he has no fear of talking to people, which not many people have people like that in their lives that, um, like, I feel like a lot of times, even myself, like I'll just talk myself out of talking to people sometimes. Like if I'm like, Oh, I don't really know what to say. Uh, how do I start the conversation? I mean, in, if you plan too much of the conversation ahead of time, I mean, there's too many variables that probably won't go right in order for you to keep with that template you came up with in your head. So um, sometimes I just won't even say anything. But um, it, it was cool watching my dad when I was growing up and also terrifying um, him just walking up to people, chatting with them. And um, the story I always go back to when I was, I think we were coming back from like, coming back from somewhere and we hit a bunch of traffic and, um, you know, we're in dead stop traffic with a bunch of semis and different cars and stuff. And, um, I think we'd been sitting there for maybe 20, 30 minutes, the whole family in the back of the car. And my dad just, I mean, we're just sitting there chilling, talking. And then my dad just like, Hey, I'll be right back. And then he opens his car door while we're on the interstate and it's nighttime, grant you. And my mom's like, what, are, what are, where are you going? And he's like, I'll just be right back. And so he closes the door and all of us are sitting in the back of the car like, dude, what is going on? And he walks up to a semi truck and he just like knocks on the door. And, uh, the semi truck driver opens his door and, um, my dad's pointing somewhere. And then the semi truck driver is like using his hands and like, they're just sitting there chatting. And I mean, they talked for like, I swear they talked for maybe five, 10, 15 minutes or something. And, um, you know, my dad then, you know, waves the, the, the guy goodbye and the guy waves to my dad or maybe they shook hands or something. And, uh, you know, my dad comes, sits back in the car and um, my mom's like, what, what was that? Like, why, why were you doing that? And he was like, oh, he was a nice guy. Um, you know, his son, yada, yada. And my dad just starts, you know, it's like he just made a friend on the interstate for no reason. Um, my dad, I guess, was going to ask him directions on something. But I don't know, when you're around someone as crazy that's just going to get out of their car and knock on a semi-truck driver door, I mean, you kind of grow up with this like lack of fear of talking to new people because at the end of the day, as scary as the world can seem, people are still people and, and everyone's an individual deep down and everybody has their own me and their own self and I'm a firm believer that people are generally good and... um you know, if you try to talk to someone and they suck or they're a jerk or they're mean, I mean, well, you know, you learned the lesson. Um, I mean, it's definitely an issue with safety. I'm not going to go around when I'm stopped on the interstate knocking on semis <laughs> per se. But um, yeah, definitely don't be afraid to reach out to people. I mean, especially an email like, I mean, what's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen on email? They're going to respond and say, yeah, you know, no, we don't want a mural or we're not interested in your artwork. Have a good day. Um, you know, I've gotten emails like that. It's a bummer, but you can't let that dictate everything you do. You know, if you just fixate over the one thing someone said to you that's bad, you're not really going to make a lot of progress. So, you know, your artwork's not going to be for everybody, and that's all right. Um, you're, you know, whatever creative endeavor you do, maybe, maybe you're a chef, and maybe your favorite ingredient is something, and, you know, who knows, maybe maybe people have a problem with that ingredient and, and, you know, the first couple people you serve are going to be like, ugh, like I don't really like, you know, let's say Carolina Reapers, for instance, if you make meals with that in there, I mean, that's going to be pretty hot. 
there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, hey, you know, I don't really want Carolina Reapers in my freaking food. I want to enjoy what my food tastes like and not just burn to death when I eat your food. But over time, I'm sure someone like that might actually find an audience of people who love Carolina Reapers and they love very spicy food. And then, you know, their restaurant could take off and it could be, you know, the Carolina Reaper Strant or, you know, whatever name you want to put towards it. Um, you know, you can create that audience yourself. And as you network and as you reach out and you're, you, you meet people, you talk with people, you're going to find like-minded people who agree and... Um, they believe in what you're doing. Even if they even if they disagree, they still see what you're doing and they still know that you're putting effort towards it and you believe in it. And sometimes honestly just believing in something is is that's the biggest part towards getting someone getting someone involved in in what you do. I mean, if I went to my mural pitches and and I sent people designs and I was like, "Hey, you know, here's this design. I mean, I know you're probably not going to like it, but you know, here it is and uh yeah, I mean, I picked these colors, but like, you know, you're probably not really going to like those colors. And, uh, you know, yeah, the, the client's probably going to be like, yeah, we don't really like those colors either. And it's not really the design we were thinking versus if you email them and you're like, hey, I know your business and your brand colors are blue and green, for instance. So I chose to stay true to what your business was like and what your brand colors are and try to do something that's in line with the colors and the the templates of what your business owners are already used to and I don't want to install something out of the norm. So I chose these colors to stay consistent. I also want you to have uh, an art piece that's cutting edge and something that's new and going to really inspire people and um, also be something that people have never seen before because if you go to a business and you have a unique personal experience and you see something you've never seen before, you're going to remember that business and you're going to remember that moment and where you were when you saw it. So, and it, it doesn't even have to be like, I remember where I was at when I saw a Nick abstract mural. Like, I'm not saying like that, but what I'm saying is let's say for instance, um, a mural at like a coffee shop or something. If you painted a mural at a coffee shop and that coffee shop starts to have some success and starts to get some press and, and people really resonate with that coffee shop, um, you know, your mural probably isn't going to be the thing that stands out in their mind of like, you know, when I went to that coffee shop, the mural was just superb. But they are going to remember, hey, I went to this coffee shop that was really cool and I had a really good latte and like it was a fun experience. And then maybe their friend is going to say, is it the one with that mural on it? And they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, that one. And like just that enough, I think proves that your artwork has a place and a purpose and that it's done its job. Whether it's the main event or whether it's just an addition to the business already. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a testament to what your work is and, and what your work can do. Um, last thing I wanted to really, really discuss on here is um, my Homescapes project. Um, homescapes, I'll just give you a little bit of backstory. Um, so I have a buddy who lives in Canada. His name is Mitch. And Mitch is a landscape painter. And I, I kind of met him through graffiti. And um, he he's a landscape painter in Saskatchewan province in Canada. And he's been painting landscapes for quite a few years. Um, he's done some gallery shows and sold quite a few. And, he, you know, he really enjoys doing these landscapes because, you know, where he's from in Canada is kind of comparable to where I'm from in Indiana. It's long, flat fields, lots of farmland, tractors, freight trains, you know, pretty Midwest type stuff. 
Um, so I kind of joke that he's from like the, the Indiana of Canada, if you will, or I'm from the, the Saskatchewan of the United States, comparably to him. But, um, you know, you know, him and I have, have developed a good friendship over the years. And, um, I, I had some people in my small town here, uh, east of Indy, they hit me up saying, Hey, you know, we've seen your artwork. We'd love a mural here in town. If that's something you'd be interested in doing. And so I met up with some people from the town and keep in mind, this town is really small. We basically have a gas station and a McDonald's, um, and a grocery store. And that's kind of about it. Like it's just you know, whatever your, your standard Midwest town is, um, surrounded by farmland. Uh, like I said, freight trains roll through, it's just a little railroad town. Um, and so my abstract murals where it's all these crazy lines and architectural based structures. And like, you know, if I tried to show them that stuff, which I did, um, and just said, Hey, you know, does this seem like it would resonate with the town? I'm starting to feel like it might not because, my abstract work is very, I feel like it's, it's pretty poignant to living in a city. And when you interact with the city, you're interacting with the structures and the infrastructure around. And so my abstract, uh, geometric work being that it's more architecturally based, it appeals to city folk a little bit better. Um, but landscapes and things that pay, pay homage to the, the previous history and some of the development of the town, be it you know, the railroad, be it harvesting, farming, you know, um, grain silos, you know, the railroad basically is the only reason that our little town exists. A long time ago, there was a grain depot and like a grain elevator that was in town. And, you know, this is a similar story in Canada, which when I was talking with my friend Mitch, we kind of realized like, there's a lot of small Midwest and, and also mid, you know, Canadian cities and towns and stuff that are just based on the railroad entirely. Um, you know, before there were roads and stuff, there were railroads. And even before there were railroads, there were general, uh, I wouldn't say hibernation, but, uh, general paths and stuff that, that, that human beings have used throughout the United States to harvest land, to move goods through. Um, and so when I was talking with these people in my town, I, I just, I'd had enough conversations with Mitch to where I was like, dude. I told the people in my town, hey, is an is a landscape painting something that you'd be interested in? You know, if if we took this this wall right here that's just plain and we painted what what our town looked like way back in the day, you know, let's say we have the old grain silo from the eighteen hundreds and it's, you know, on the left and in the background there's a you know, a field of corn and maybe a, you know, a, a trailer, um, a horse drawn trailer or something off to the side, you know. That would let people know who live in our, our, our community here that this is what our town used to be and kind of where it came from. Um, and the people in my community were like, oh, cool, like that's a great idea. We'd love to have a mural kind of like that. And so myself and Mitch got to thinking, and I think Mitch recently finished a mural up in Canada in a town called Humboldt. And, you know, Mitch and I started thinking, hey, if he's in another country in Canada, very far away from Indiana and we're both pitching kind of a similar concept, be it a landscape mural that pays homage to the previous history of the area. There's gotta be hundreds and hundreds, if not maybe thousands, who knows of other small towns and small communities in between myself and Mitch that, um, that would be interested in a mural similar. 
something landscape based, something that pays homage to the previous uh, industries or something in the area, whether it be, you know, a city that had a lot of brick masons or, you know, a brick manufacturing place or something where they, they made bricks or uh, let's say a town has a huge cast iron uh, factory or something or other. Like, you know, you could take things from those towns and mold them into a mural design that's a landscape. And uh, Mitch and I were like, dude, it'd be pretty crazy to like maybe rent an RV or rent some vehicle or something and just do a huge tour across the United States, across Canada, and paint a lot of landscape murals for small towns. Because, I mean, my town, for instance, they don't really have a mural. They've never really had anything painted. So myself and Mitch have, have done mural jobs in the city and have... You know, we've kind of cut our teeth. I, I wouldn't say professionally because I'm still super new to, to the ball game as well. But, you know, I've done enough to where I somewhat know what the process of doing murals and stuff is like. So we can take some of those skills and those techniques and, and those things that we've learned through producing murals in the city. And we can, you know, we can help these small towns out. We can install the first mural in a small town. That's That's a crazy thing. And when you have a mural in a small town, um, that speaks to the people of that small town and inspires, you know, new generations in that town. You know, you never know who you could inspire. You know, with the painting that you do, there could be some kid someday that drives past that and it's like, wow, that's really cool. And then when he goes to school the next day, he's going to try to redraw your mural on a piece of paper. And maybe that kid continues drawing artwork on paper. Maybe eventually that day becomes a mural artist, becomes a painter, becomes a musician, you know, becomes famous. You never know who anybody could be. So, um, that's just to say Mitch and I, it, it's, it's been made a little bit difficult with COVID and everything, but, um, we ended up, we found an RV on Facebook marketplace that was for sale for $300, which I, it, it sounds as ridiculous as, as it should sound, um, and my dad and I had been looking on Facebook marketplace along with Mitch too, for quite some time. Um, Mitch was looking up in Saskatchewan. I was looking here in Indiana, um, Ohio and Illinois and Kentucky and stuff, just seeing, you know, is, are any of these RVs feasible? Because I don't have a whole lot of money to put into this thing. I mean, I have maybe a little bit of time and some elbow grease. And, um, like I said, from the previous podcast, my dad used to be a mechanic. So, you know, he's got some of the mechanical knowledge, you know, we could maybe make something happen on the cheap. And so my dad found, um, this RV for 300 bucks. And, um, him and I drove out to the field in the middle of Columbus, Indiana, where this RV had been sitting for four years. And, um, the lady who was selling it was like, yeah, man, I mean, I mean, my hubby and I, we drove it up in here. Her name was Belinda. Um, she's like, yeah, my hubby and I, we, we parked it on up here and, uh, you know, we, we didn't have a home at the time. So, I mean, we lived in it for, you know, three years or something or other like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it ran when we parked it, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about all I know about it. <laughs> and so my dad and I, you know, were looking at the engine and stuff, and, like, it was pretty dirty, honestly. Like, the RV was, it looked it looked pretty rough, for real. But my dad and I crawled under it and didn't really see a whole lot of rust, per se. The engine wasn't completely waterlogged from sitting out in the rain. I mean, it was sealed pretty well. Um, so we asked the lady... Belinda, we're like, hey, you know, we brought some gas. Would you be okay if we, you know, tried to start it? And she's like, yeah, I mean, right here, 
over here on the left, uh, I mean, I can't remember exactly, but I'm thinking right, right about here is where the gas tank is. And so my dad and I were like, all right, cool. We pour gas in, in the RV and, um, I think she had to dip. She had to go do something somewhere. And so she left as we're trying to start this thing. It would not start at all. And so my dad and I are thinking, all right, well, you know, we came out here, drove about an hour and a half. We tried it. We came, we saw it might be a piece of junk. So, you know, we'll hold off, maybe get a different RV down the line if something else comes up. And as my dad is underneath the RV, he looks at the fuel line and he goes, wait a second. The fuel line that we just connected to the to the engine is not connected. And this is a reserve tank that we poured gas into. And he's like, my thought is there's probably another gas tank somewhere around here that's the main gas tank. Um, and so I went around the back of the RV and I was like, oh, shoot. And I told my dad, I was like, it looks like back here is the actual gas tank. Um, I guess the lady just told us the, the, the wrong one. And uh, so, yeah, we filled up the, the correct gas tank and um, broom. It started right up perfectly fine. I mean, you could rev the engine. It would it would stay. Um, yeah, my dad and I were like, oh, my God. $300 and this thing runs and it's idling pretty much just fine. So, um, I think my dad and I had to, um, I think we had to put a battery on it or something like that's really all it needed. And, um, so, you know, Mitch and I went from this idea of, yeah, it'd be cool to connect with local towns, yada, 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 to my dad and I on the interstate driving this freaking super methed out looking RV <laughs> two hours home to Indianapolis. Um, I mean, it was just crazy. It was a wild story. And, um, you know, I, I, in the past I've had a history of, of naming cars that I've driven. You know, I drove a 1998, uh, Honda Accord that just, I mean, it was the most standard boring vehicle imaginable. And I just, I don't know why, for some reason, I thought his name, if I could name the car, was just Steve. Like, it just seemed like a Steve. You know, you, I don't know. Some people have friends that maybe are named Steve, and they're a bit more eccentric. I mean, I know I have friends that are Steven, and they're more eccentric, but I know my dad has probably friends that are named Steve, and they're just like a standard, you know, 50-something-year-old guy named Steve. They've got just, you know, a little bit of gray hair maybe square glass. I don't know. They just, they just seem like a Steve, you know? And so my dad and I were, you know, driving this thing home and my dad, he knows that I've named my previous cars, just kind of ridiculous names. And he goes, Hey man, what do you think? What do you think this thing's name's going to be? And, uh, I, I just told him, I was like, just out of, out of tribute sake, I think we got to name her Linda after the lady who sold it to us. I mean, she was a character told us the wrong gas tank to fill up. And I mean, she was really sweet. And, um, yeah, she she said that her husband and them were living in the RV, but then they, they built a trailer behind the RV, lived in the trailer for a little bit, and then they just were about to move into a house. So they kind of moved and, and kind of upgraded a little bit. So I was like, yeah, dude, I think instead of Belinda, I think just call it Linda for short. And I mean, it looks like a Linda. It's a 1976 Dodge Road Cruiser, I think is the name of it. Let me, let me Google it real quick and tell you if that's what it is. 19... 76 Dodge Road Cruiser. Yeah, I mean, if you if you put that into Google, uh, yep, that's pretty much what it is. And uh, I think Dodge at the time in the 70s were making like the the Dodge cab 
they, they, they were making like the body, the part that the the driver and the passenger would sit in, and then like they would sell that to different places, and different places would then build the um, the RV portion of it that sits behind that. Um, and so yeah, we got this dirty freaking RV, and um, my dad and I have power washed it, and um, you know we've been we've been gutting the inside for the last couple months, and I never honestly thought as an artist I would have an RV from the 70s, and I would be ripping out 1970s insulation that you know, smells terrible and we'd be addressing some wood rot and some, some of the, the wood frame and whatnot, <laughs> but you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, I guess my best offer of encouragement is, yeah, just like, listen to where, listen to where your heart is. Listen to just weird things that happen. You know, I have a friend who paints landscapes and then I have a, my city and my town that I grew up in is like, yeah, you know, I think a landscape might actually work you know, fast forward two months later, you know, you have an RV and you're trying to plan a trip across the entire continent. So (laughs) who knows, man? Um, Planning is still a little early, but if you're listening to this and and you know someone who lives in a small town or, um, you know, if you live in a small town yourself and and you know a business owner or someone in the community that you can, that you can reach out to and say, Hey, there's this homescapes project. um, And here's their website, their, their website, homescapestour.com you know, check them out. They, they're, they're planning to leave in 2021, even, you know, with COVID and stuff, you know, if Mitch can't come to the, the United States or vice versa, you know, maybe, maybe we just do a, a separate mural tour and he does some dates in, in Canada and I do some dates in the States and we make it, ha- I mean, I'm determined to make it happen some way or another, somehow how that looks, I'm not sure, but yeah, if you know anybody in a small town, have them reach out. I mean, the, these murals don't even require a crazy huge budget. You know, we're going to be driving an RV, hopefully, so um, the town can save money on needing to host us and stuff and, you know, really just pay for the mural itself and, you know, maybe some gas to get us out there. But, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the tour. I, I, hope it, I hope it goes well, and I hope that we start hearing back from some towns and have some things planned because, I mean, it'd, it'd be the tour of a lifetime for sure. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've now chatted for quite some time and uh, probably babbled for too long. But if you enjoy this podcast, please let me know. Um, my Instagram is at nick.abstract. Um, my website is nickabstract.com. Yeah, hit me with any questions. I mean, if, if you have other questions or even just a response to some of the things I've talked about, definitely holler at me. Let me know. I'm, I'd be super curious to hear that um, because... You know, just seeing a certain amount of people have listened to a podcast doesn't doesn't do as much for me and where this podcast is headed as um, people actually providing me with like, hey, I heard this story. It made me think of this. Um, you know, it'd be great if you could answer question X or question Y on the next podcast. So, yeah, let me know. Stay communicated with me. I'd love to hear from you guys and um, have a great rest of your day. Don't let crazy social media, you know, infect your mind. <laughs> Try to stay positive, stay out there, be nice to people. Um, maybe don't uh, knock on a semi-driver's door, and, or, or maybe do it. You never you never know who that dude is. You might also uh, knock on the wrong dude's door who has a shotgun pointed at your head. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, knock on doors at your own uh, at your own risk. But definitely knock on some doors. Definitely don't be afraid to outreach, and don't be afraid to ask me questions too. If you need help or if you have a maybe a budget question or something, hit me up. Um, I'm definitely an open book and I'm, I'm here to help you guys. Um, 
share whatever creations and paintings and if you're a chef share whatever food you're making um yeah just let me know i'd love to see what you guys are doing so uh send me a photo let me know what you think and um hit that subscribe button so you can listen to more of these podcasts um, and if you haven't heard episode one and two is already up also these should be available on all podcasting platforms now so apple podcast stitcher google podcast all that stuff they should be in there if you have a problem or an issue listening to them definitely let me know and i'll try to resolve that but the goal is to shift these away from needing to go to my website to listen and um soon go to all podcasting platforms so let me know have a great rest of your guys day rest of your week um, i'm hoping to do one of these a week that's kind of the the schedule that i'm, I'm templating out for myself so i shall see y'all next week peace Music